Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. I'm Daniel and I hope you've had a good week. It's, uh, we're coming into September now, so it's really good. It's uh, spring here in Australia. And uh, today I have with me Jasmine, who is a provisional psychologist. And uh, you've heard her before. We spoke about self-esteem and how um, social media portrays people and how we need to sort of have that certain look. And so today she's here to talk about the psychology of money. So hello, Jasmine. How are you? Hi, Daniel. I'm well, thanks. Thanks for having me. That's it's good. I mean, look, we've been trying to, over the last couple of months, I can't even remember when we did the last podcast together, but since then we've been trying to find a time when we're both available to be able to record another one. Yes, that's true. We're both very busy, unfortunately, but thanks for making the time to see me today. I think our last podcast um, that we recorded together was in May. That's the little thing that came up on my on my um, computer. So it's been a little bit of time since then. It has. So psychology of money, that's the topic you wanted to talk about. So how, how do you think, um, well, explain what you mean by the psychology of money. Well, I guess it's just the diverse and there's many different ways that psychology impacts money and vice versa. So an example of that could be like, like if you lose money or if you don't have money, that can really contribute to depression or anxiety and those sorts of things. And it can also impact your mood as well. It's just like a lot of times we sort of think, oh, we're either born into money or you're rich or you're poor. There's not a whole lot that psychology has to do with it. But actually money does really affect psychology and the way that you, your attitude towards money can definitely influence like how much money that you're actually going to have and also your spending habits and also unhealthy spending habits too. Yeah, because I guess, um, you know, like people, as you just said, with mood, um, if, you, if you're short of money per week, I guess you'd be really worried and, and that would create bad mental health and physical health because if you're constantly worrying about where your next dollar is coming from, that's not a good thing, is it? Yeah, that's right. And it can be just a contributing factor towards stress, anxiety, uncertainty. Then you can develop other coping mechanisms, which are unhealthy as well, all as a result of either not having enough money or losing money, losing your job as well. Those sort of things can really play a big part in in your mental health. So what are some of the unhelpful thinking styles uh, connected to money? One of the things that people tend to do is they don't realise how much our impulses can impact our spending habits. Oh, yeah. So essentially, like, you can have impulse control problems where you just sort of like, because like an impulse is just like a raw, naked sort of thought. It's just like it's your brain, an instant thought saying, I want, I need, give it to me. And, but as you get older, like that's sort of like what happens as you're a child. And then you sort of like develop better cognitive thinking where you're just like, oh no, I can't have that. I can't do that. There's actual repercussions to that sort of activity, that behavior. So you learn to sort of not act on your every impulse. But sometimes if you have problems with impulse control, that can sort of be one of the reasons 
that you spend too much money and you're not sort of aware that that's what the actual problem is. And that, of course, that you can sort of work on that and, and it doesn't have to be your story. You don't have to be within uh, that sort of a vicious cycle, I guess. So do you think impulse control around money has always been a thing or do you think it's been more since social media and things like that have come in that people nowadays feel like they have to have the next big thing or the new look? And I guess we touched on that when we spoke last time about social media and uh, trends that young girls and guys are following. So do you feel that um, nowadays is, and I guess credit cards are a lot easier to obtain now when you're 18. I mean, when I was 18, uh, back in the dark ages, getting a credit card, you almost had to have, oh, well, so much proof of who you are and how much assets you had before they'd even look at giving you a credit card. Yeah, there's, I think that you can get approved for a $2,500 credit card if you're just on like Centrelink payment sort of thing. Wow. And then if you make your minimum repayments, that shows that you have good, like the credit scoring improves and then you can apply for even more money on your credit card. Yeah. So, but when you talk about social media and, and money, absolutely, there's a, uh, like there's a lot of women now that are basically purchasing very like expensive designer clothes and you see it all on social media and and what it ends up making you do and think is that you need to buy those things too so there's definitely been like an increase of pressure on women and men to buy very highly expensive designer items and the thing is like it would be pretty standard to see a person that earns like sixty thousand dollars a year wearing and buying a $10,000 handbag. And it's just like, it's just like that money could be put towards a house, but you don't get any cred, I guess, on social media if you do that. So there's a lot of pressure to buy those sorts of things more than ever, I think. Like the luxury brands on social media are really prominent. But in my day, you learned to save up for what you wanted or Mm -hmm. you asked your parents if you could borrow the money and paid it back weekly. Uh, And now we have things like buy now, pay later, which really isn't teaching people the value of money, is it? It's like you can go in a store and buy whatever you want and just pay it off. And a lot of people are actually getting into debt that way because I think it's over four repayments you need to pay that money back. And once you go over that, then the interest rate is astronomical. Yeah, well, it just makes it even harder to um, say no to your impulses because you have the impulse, I want to buy something. And then in addition to that, they facilitate that further by through afterpay or credit cards so that you don't really see any repercussions to buying these items that you can't really afford. So it can just be, it can end up making you feel pretty bad about yourself. You can get into debt quite easily. I think a lot of younger people are sort of facing this problem now. And yeah, because they, they probably don't have that value of money that we had like when we were younger where we did have to save up for things. Some some people don't have that. They haven't had to behave that way in order to get things for whenever they want to buy things. Yeah. So um, I guess also we've just been through COVID and, I mean, a lot of people have lost their jobs. There are still some people obviously making money. Um, but how does that affect the way people think? Because we're already... Uh, headed for a mental health crisis due to COVID. Um, How do people manage their money when they don't have much coming in? Or how do they manage their mental health? Because it's an extra burden on them, isn't it? 
It is, yeah. And since COVID, like we've been getting a lot of the stimulus packages from the government, seeing a bit of that. But I think the um, antidepressants are up by quite a substantial percentage. Same with the consumption of alcohol as well. Yeah. So it's, yeah, you can definitely see how COVID is impacting mental health quite a bit. And maybe the way that it is impacting mental health is simply through the fact that, I don't know, it could be a byproduct of the the lack of money that we have because some of us, like quite a lot of us have lost our jobs as well. So um, how do you think uh, parenting styles contribute to the psychology of money or how we see money? Um, I guess parenting styles contribute because you'll have like authoritarian parents and there's, that's like the strict parents that use punishment to control. Uh, they're quite fear-invoking parents as well and they don't really nurture their children. Then you'll have on the other side, you'll have authoritative parents and they're more parents that nurture their children and they encourage their their children, they honour their feelings and they sort of think like we're in this together, almost yeah. like equal, but they still provide like guidance. Yeah. Then you have permissive parents and they're the parents that just don't really set any firm boundaries at all with children. They sort of think, let kids be kids, let's just be friends essentially. They offer, yeah, very little guidance. And then you have, lastly, is your uninvolved parent. And that can be generally a parent who could be, say, a workaholic or maybe have substance abuse problems, but they can also be the parent that's at home every day but they just don't really have time for their child and they make that quite clear. But essentially in relation to how these four different parenting styles will affect the child's relationship with money as an adult, what we found is that with what the research shows is that authoritarian parents often have children with low impulse control like very rigid approaches towards money and they're very reluctant to give in to any impulses. Sometimes they will let loose and they might actually engage in like overspending every now and again and then bring it back and then restrict it right back down because that's sort of they can be used to those cycles of punishment. Then you have the permissive parents. Now permissive parents have the worst outcomes for um, children as adults in terms of what the research shows and towards money, they often can also have substance use problems because they just, they've never really been told no as a child. Oh, and yeah. so, yeah, when they become an adult, they really struggle to be able to like say no to themselves because they've just never had that muscle worked at all. Of course, you can, once you realize this, you can change this outcome for yourself as well. Yeah, and then also obviously the the best outcomes that we see with children is with the authoritative parents. So they're the ones that were nurturing, encouraging, they honoured their feelings and they just set firm boundaries but they weren't really rigid with it as like the way that an an authoritarian parent would be. Right, yeah. And I I guess if you're growing up in a family where there, there isn't that much structure and not much learning, um, and the parents are going out and doing what they want, especially, I guess, if they're parents who are out buying drugs or drinking a lot, you, you know, you, you mimic your parents because they're your biggest role model other okay. than your siblings. 
Yeah, absolutely. So you'll have like, like parents will give you genetic and um, behavioral and environmental contributors to how you're going to act as an adult for sure. So if, yeah, if the parents sort of engaging in those sort of reckless behaviors and making that behavior okay, the likelihood is, is that the child or the adolescent will develop those similar styles of behavior as they become an adult as well. So what are some ways to learn how to value money in a different way then? Well, I guess you've got to sort of realise the relationship that you have with money. So that can take a lot of work actually because sometimes what you can find too is pretend that somebody has um, depression or something like that and they overcome it and perhaps they overcome it through antidepressants or something like they don't really engage too heavily in therapy just as an example so they overcome depression, but then they, they replicate that same behavior with money. So they'll what they can do, like what some studies have found, is that they can overspend and what that will actually do is create those feelings of guilt, those feelings of shame, those feelings of hopelessness that's associated with depression. They think that they don't have depression, but what but they still have this low, constant low mood. And all they've um, done is they haven't sort of done that inner homework to sort of work out, you know, what patterns of behaviour am I replicating here? Because sometimes, like, if you don't really address that, if you don't sort of get that internal validation and, and learn to soothe yourself internally what you can end up actually just doing is just, yeah, replicating those those behaviours again, but instead of doing it with with money, then you might move on to something else like maybe substance abuse or something like that. So that's why it's just, it's so important to recognise like what are my behaviours, what are my attitudes, what possible toxic behaviours am I repeating here? And I guess with money, one of the worst positions you could probably be in is if you're in a domestic violence situation or abusive uh, parenting, uh, especially with domestic violence because you're codependent on that person. So how, how, I mean, look, breaking the cycle of domestic violence, people usually say to me, oh, well, it's easy, that person should just leave. But when you introduce money and the children and stuff like that, yes, they should just leave, but it's a cycle that is really hard to actually disconnect yourself from. Yeah, it is. It's such a, a difficult cycle to disconnect yourself and, and break from. Like studies actually show that a, a woman will take seven attempts before she's actually able to leave a domestic violence situation. That's what the studies show. So that's like how difficult it can actually be. And when there is money involved as well, often like, Financial abuse is a form of domestic violence yeah. and it is a form of power. It is a form of control. And to the point where, and this is still related to the topic of money and psychology and, and even like now the domestic violence, but what, you know, when you do a, a bank transfer to somebody, um, like pretend I was going to wire you money, you know how you can do that? Yep. Um, and then like there'll be like a little message at the bottom that says like, um, payment for dinner or what it, or um, money that I owe you or something yep. like that. Well, what is actually happening is when, when the person tries to cut off all contact with their 
partner for domestic violence, they will transfer the money. And in that little message, they'll, they'll say something like, I'm watching you or oh. whatever it might be. And they're using that platform to intimidate and, and scare. Wow. I'd never thought of that. Yeah, well, unfortunately, a, a lot of other people have. So, <laughs> and that's um, what what they're actually doing. But fortunately, the banks have started to um, become aware of this problem. And when they see any sort of threatening message like that, they're following up and doing the correct steps to make sure that that person is safe. Yeah, that's unbelievable. I mean, look, I I was watching something the other day and there was something in that that blew me away and I can't, can't think of what it was now. But, I mean, to actually be just transferring someone money and then in that little, so you mean the little description where you've got like 18 characters that you can put in there and they're writing something abusive in there when they're paying child support or whatever they have to pay to their ex-partner. That's just, who thinks of these things? I mean, well... Because they make more than likely the woman's um, cut off all contact and this is like their, their last little way that they can intimidate that person. So, yeah, it's pretty shocking. It really is. I guess I've never actually come across anyone that's that controlling over anyone. That's beyond, I mean, I guess we could sit here and work out why, um, but that's never helpful because, you know, something like that just shouldn't even be thought of in the first place. Yeah, I know. It's very true. It is terrible that somebody would do something like that. What we what the studies also show with domestic violence and any sort of relationships that are abusive is you can have more of a tendency to end up in an abusive relationship if you've, if you've seen that in the home when you were growing up. Yeah, And also if your parents behave that way to you, because sometimes parents can actually be quite controlling towards their children um, in terms of money and they can use it for power. They can use it for control because they've got the, they can like, they've got the little, the carrot, they've got the money. That's the reward and you want it from them. And what it can actually do is, financially disable them you end up like just relying on other people for money instead of relying on yourself for money instead of having that internal drive and that internal self-reliance yeah Yeah. absolutely so and then what will happen as well is that ending up in a relationship where you're just perpetuating that that behavior again i mean i guess relationships and you know married relationships if someone's the one controlling the money, the income, paying the bills, for someone who's in that situation, even if it's not domestic violence, but it's like mental abuse of, um, you know, being in control and the other person, they're not equal. There's no equal status in the relationship. That can prevent someone from leaving, can't it? Because it's not easy, but it's you can say to someone, oh, well, look, just take the kids and go. But if you're reliant on that person for all your money, for everything, your mobile bill, um, car, whatever, or just feeding the kids and clothing the kids, you know, it's really hard for someone to just go, okay, yeah, I can do that because they want their sense of self and they also want to know that they have enough money to get them through week to week. I mean, I think we've sort of been talking in terms of, you know, parents who are, if not well off, are in the middle, you know, a medium income or, you know, uh, have put a little bit aside that could help them. But if you come from 
a family where your parents aren't very well off who are struggling week to week to get by you know as someone leaving a domestic violence situation it would you wouldn't really be able to rely on your parents because they don't have the money to sustain you and your kids as well so it is a really big wrench to try and move yourself away from a situation if someone's in complete control of the money that's why it's so important for for females as well to know that they can be empowered to know that they can rely on themselves for for finance and for independence too because if you are in that domestic violence situation like if you do rely on the, on your partner it really does make it that much harder for you to step out of that situation step out of that relationship because you completely depend on them to meet the needs of for the family but luckily there's quite a bit of government support now for women that are leaving those situations too and at the other end of the spectrum really like women can feel really empowered with money women are actually like better investors than men as well that's what the studies are sort of showing because they're less inclined to engage in risky behaviors that men sort of are more inclined to to engage in so men are more impulsive aren't they they can be Oh, no, I guess there's women shopping as well online. That's true. I I think um, Amazon, uh, you know, had record sales during COVID. That's true, yeah. So women definitely have the, and I can speak from experience, the um, online shopping uh, problems. But, yeah, in terms of like, because women can feel really disempowered in the relationship. They can feel that they really need to rely on the men because that's, I guess, like what what history is, has shown us and tradition has shown us. But when you really think about it, like we're starting to get equal pay and when it comes to terms of um, investing, like women are up there as as uh, actually better investors than men, believe it or not. <laughs> can I tell by that smile that you're quite, um, well, you're a good investor. I do enjoy investing. I actually really encourage it for people as well. It can make, it's really good for self-esteem. It's a good way to feel in control as well, in control of your own finances too. And your future. And and your future as well, absolutely. The only people that I would uh, say to 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 be wary of um, investing in the stock market is anyone that has any tendencies towards gambling or history of gambling in the family because that rise of yeah. the stock market it can be quite similar the highs and the lows that you yeah. yeah you can associate with gambling so that's the only pitfall that i would um warn against but other than that it's, i think it's a great thing to get involved in and, and i think, uh, think financial- with the stock market i mean you need to be wary as well that if you're putting money in there is always a chance that you're never going to get it back out. So you have to be wary of what shares you're buying or stocks because it, it is sort of a gamble. Um, and things that can seem, you know, 100% set turn out to be things that go down the plug hole. Yeah, that's why it's really important to just diversify your portfolio and make sure that you've got, you've invested in quite a few different companies so that if something like that does happen, um, you're not going to have, be throwing it away all everything that you've invested but yeah it is definitely something that's um worthwhile venture and it's just a, a good way to sort of feel like you're a capable person to change your attitude towards money as well like something like making it something that works for you instead of this desperate need and like a feeling that you don't have enough of you can actually start to turn that around and feel more empowered that way the only other thing i would just sort of highlight is just the importance of like just realizing as well that excessive spending 
it really does take a toll on your mental health and you ca- it can really be associated with feelings of guilt and shame. And, and then the worst thing that can happen from there is it's like, I feel like I'm so, I don't have enough money. Um, I'm so broke. I'm $15,000 in debt. How am I going to get through this? And you feel really bad about yourself, really like really low mood. You really feel that deep worry as well. And what you'll end up doing is seeing a nice pink glittery top or handbag online and even though your biggest concern is the fact that you don't have money you will click and buy that top or that that handbag that you cannot afford because just for that instant moment you feel better but in the end all that happens is that you just feel worse from it so you just really got to be aware of that and just know that even if you are so in debt and you can't possibly see a way out it just takes that one first little step like this week just save $5 next week save $10 and just slowly start to build up a, a savings account that way and just know that it is something that you can overcome and you definitely will not overcome it by spending more even if it does make you feel a little bit of temporary happiness and look as you say i mean if you've seen that glittery top that you want and say it's 100 bucks and you say, okay, I want to buy it, put $20 away for five weeks and buy it because it's still going to be there. And at least then, you know, it's not on your credit card. You're not uh, racking up more debt. And as you say, yeah, you do feel really good when you first get it in your hands or when you first purchased it, it can actually be an overwhelming feeling of like, wow, I've just got that. But it doesn't last when you see that your credit card's another $100 or $120 now in debt because you've had to pay extra on your what you already owe. Um, and it is hard for people to rein that in at times, isn't it? And especially when you're in a low mood where we've gone through COVID, maybe you don't have so many hours at work, you, you've split up with someone, um, it's winter, so it's cold. There's all these other variables that are going on in the background And you just go, I just want to buy something, you know, I just want to feel good about myself. Yeah. And there are so many things, everything. There is a team of very clever people that are making sure that every step of that process is designed to create endorphins, to make you feel good about yourself, to make you think that you don't even have to pay for this. Like you can just put on afterpay, you can put on your credit card. It's just like, it's just seems like a no brainer. Like why not? But realistically, like the generation today are just so like into instant gratification because like as you were saying earlier, like we had to save for things. If we wanted food, we had to sort of, I know, it just wasn't quite as easy as just getting on your phone and um, ordering Uber Eats. Like we sort of had to work at things, but the problem is now it's just instant gratification. So yeah, just... I remember at 15, if you ordered a pizza, you had to walk down and pick it up and then walk home with it. <laughs> Didn't even get delivery back then. I know. And then like, yeah, then the pizza would arrive and it would be like warm, like it's not even hot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, things are so easy nowadays. Yeah, if, well, if we want something, we just tap it into our phone and we can have a meal delivered within half an hour. We might yeah. pay extra for it because we're paying delivery and service charge, but we go, oh, that's easy. You know, I don't have to go out anywhere. There's a lot more choices of what you can do and what you, for what you need, and it's working out what you really need and do you really want it. 
because mm. I, I remember reading an article earlier this year about Amazon and them changing their returns to uh, from, I don't know, four weeks to four months. And it was because they realised that a lot of people are going to buy stuff and then want to return it. Oh. But they're hoping that, that people will buy it, keep hold of it, and then go, oh, no, I, I won't return it, I'll keep it. But, yeah, I mean, Amazon ballooned in lockdown. I think a lot of people spent way too much than what they actually had that they could just spend because now we're seeing that six lockdown that we're in in Victoria, who knows when it's going to end? We hope it ends soon. But I think even the last time we spoke, we were saying, well, look, we've got to look forward to what's going to happen afterwards and hope. And we've still got to have hope and we've still got to say, look, it is going to be over. We're all going to be able to go back to normal or some sort of normal but if you spend too much now and we go through another couple of lockdowns, who knows? There was a person on the telly the other day who'd had his restaurant for 12 years and he was saying, we're staying open and we're making a couple of hundred a day. We were making at least three or 4,000 a day. Um, and if this doesn't change in the next two to three weeks, we will have to close. And they were actually giving food to nurses for free as well and they were giving some to the homeless to support them. Where do people actually, where do they cut off and go, well, we can't help these people anymore because we're, we're not getting any money. Do you know mm. what I mean? It's sort of where it's great to be charitable and it's great to help other people, but some of these small businesses that aren't making enough money, they need to start thinking just of themselves because they need to try and get through this with whatever they've got left at the end of it. Mm. I know. And there's actually like quite a lot of online petitions at the moment that are just really pushing against like not having the lockdowns anymore because it really is taking a toll on small businesses. It's really taking a toll on like the mental health of people as well. And yeah, like there's saying to be charitable, like there's only so much money that the government can keep handing out as well. Like eventually like we're going to have to pay all this money back. Like there'll be a like a deficit in our budget because of all of this but yeah it's, it's hard to sort of see like there's so many long-lasting impacts of COVID for businesses as well and even just like I don't know takeaway businesses like all of those takeaway containers is so much landfill because like the only way that these small businesses can stay open is to provide takeaway food through Uber Eats, which is all great. It's like providing income to the Uber Eats drivers. It's providing um, income to the businesses as well. But there's a huge like increase in all of these plastic containers. And so it just seems like, yeah, that, that's also a huge problem that we're going to have to deal with, like the, that, that planet Earth is going to have to deal with and the next generation of people as well. And look, I mean, also we're talking about charities here. I mean, 90% of charities' money comes from us donating to them. And if we're losing our jobs and not working, we're not giving money to charity because we're trying to look after ourselves. So eventually charities aren't going to have any money left to be able to support people. I think as well, like it's, it's going to be a bit of like, there's a few components that are all interacting and influencing one another. Like COVID is influencing our, uh, like our incomes, our businesses, that's impacting our mood. It's, we've got an increase in antidepressants like it's all interwoven in quite a, a negative sort of a way I guess but hopefully things will change in the future like if they end up getting us all vaccinated or 
whatever it might be. I don't know what COVID just disappears. We, whatever way. I mean, we've got to get through it somehow. And mm. um, all right. Well, look, I think we'll leave it there, Jasmine. It's been really good. I think we've um, – because when we started, we weren't really sure on everything we were going to talk about. And I think towards the end there, we really got some good stuff out. Yeah, that's right. That's so true. <laughs> we'll, um, have- well, look, it was great that you could come back on. Um, look, we'll do something else again further down the track. Good luck with your provisional psychologist, uh, psychology. When do you finish that? This year, next year? I finished that registration next year and it has been a wonderful experience. It's a very short note to any budding psychology graduates out there. It can be very um, rewarding if you do engage in the internship to get your full registration because you're getting practical experience and you're helping people and like that's the reason why we sort of do this job. So that's invaluable. I just couldn't, cannot recommend the program enough. Okay. And what's your handle on Instagram? It is Helping Minds Online. And you, you don't have a website too, do you? I do. Um, okay. Yeah, www.helpingmindsonline.com.au. And your YouTube channel? Helping Minds Online. Good. And there's, uh, what, there's about 10 or 20 videos on there, isn't there, covering all yeah. different topics? I release every week, a video every week. The ones, the videos that are probably the most popular are actually any kind of social commentary videos or psychological profiles of celebrities. So I went on there thinking that um, people would be most interested in practical applications on how to improve their mental health. But at the end of the day, we find um, celebrity stuff so fascinating and I always work it in a way that provides mental health tips along the way that you can use to implement in your life and flourish as well yeah look on my instagram uh, page the other day i did an update on intrusive thoughts and also um person-centered therapy and those two only got 27 likes whereas if i put a picture of a cat up uh saying have a great weekend be happy relax i'll get i don't know a couple of hundred likes on it so you know, I, I think sometimes people just don't want to read or, you know, take on that information. But if it's something that they're going to get more instant gratification from, they're more into that. Yeah, and I think that's why they're saying that TikTok is so popular as well because people just want to see silly things and <laughs> a silly little dance. And I do still remember your promise to do your Instagram <laughs> dance with me. <laughs> so I'm still holding you to that. Look, maybe when you get to fly down to Melbourne, we can meet up somewhere and we can do the dance for um, our reels on (laughs) Instagram. Well, we have to, we can only do it when dancing is allowed because at the moment, I don't know if it's in Victoria, but in Queensland, you can go to an event, but you're not allowed to dance because once you start dancing, COVID is airborne. I don't know what the logic is behind it, but... (laughs) You're literally, you can go to an event, but you're not allowed to dance at an event. Yeah, because how do they go with concerts at the moment? Because you're not allowed to sing at them. You're not allowed to dance. It's almost like we're in a bit of a cult, isn't it? No singing, no dancing, no talking. <laughs> I know, and wear a mask. <laughs> wear a mask so no one can see if you're happy. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so, it's like, it's. we shouldn't be laughing, but what else can you do? <laughs> I know. Look, when, um, we had, when we came out of lockdown down here and we could actually go to the supermarket without a mask on, it was lovely to see people smiling again. Yeah, and then no. two weeks later we're all masks on again and it's like you can't actually see if the person's actually happy to see you or all of those things but i'm still holding you to our dance okay i'll have to have another look at it because i thought you were just joking but if you're not then we'll 
No, we're going to learn how to do that dance. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you again, and uh, we'll catch up again sometime soon. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me. No worries. Bye-bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other, and thanks for listening.